listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. Let's get in the NBA now first, because we've got to talk about what happened in the bubble last night in Orlando between the Clippers and the Denver Nuggets. That was a wipeout. That game wasn't close, Steve Ezek. Yeah, Denver, I could argue, just hasn't been the same since halftime. Game 7 against Utah. Joe Ingles, hard foul on Jamal Murray there. And Murray did not look right. Murray struggled in the second half shooting. And it wasn't just Murray. The entire Denver team looked like they were gassed, right, Jonas, during the entire game. But Jamal Murray... uh, He took control against Utah, and here he was just passing to teammates. He looked less than 100% to me. What did you see? Yeah, no, they didn't look completely healthy. They, or I don't know if it was healthy, or they just looked fatigued. They looked like they had put everything into that series. Because it's one thing if you go seven games. It's another thing to have to win out, to to be down three games to one like they were, and have to rattle off that many wins in a row. It's emotionally draining. It felt like that was a natural letdown spot for them. And the Clippers got solid production, and this is the frustrating thing about the LA Clippers. You look at them and you go, okay, they may have the best player in the NBA in Kawhi Leonard. They've got a deep bench. They've got a coach who's won a title before and coached in multiple NBA finals before and has had success at this level. So why can't they do this consistently? And they've got to be one of those teams, Fez, where as a professional better, you look at the Clippers and you go, God, this team's maddening to have to try and handicap because you don't know what version of them you're going to get from one game to the next. Yeah, and the Clippers, the the book on them was that they're going to gel at some point. They've got all these uh, – the two superstars come in, they add new pieces, and – there was a feeling during the summer camp in Orlando this team could get really good with everyone practicing, and then all of a sudden Lou Williams and company decided that summer camp was optional, and they had five guys that weren't there during part of the time due to injury, due to COVID, or due to personal issues. And it looks like the Clippers at least recently are finally starting to bond together. And Jonas, the Clippers are now the favorite to win the NBA title. Plus 210, so you bet 100 on the Clippers. You only get back 210 Clippers are the favorite. Well, Fez, let me just introduce you to a new world. I don't know if you're familiar with this world, but I'll I'll walk you through it here. It's called hindsight 2020 betting to where after a result happens, you go back and you claim, of course, that's how that game played out. Now, I don't know if it's ever going to win you any money. Uh, You probably need one of those back to the future Biff uh, sports almanacs to go back and win all your bets if that's if that's the way you want to play it. But it's called hindsight 2020 betting. So I will tell you this, 
Steve Fezzik that in hindsight, the Clippers beating the Nuggets and blowing them out is exactly how that game was going to go. Now, did I place any money on it? Absolutely not. Why? I don't have any money to bet on it. But never mind all that. Here's the point. Jamal Murray, if you paid close enough attention to this, he told you how this game was going to go. This was moments after their Game 7 win earlier this week when he was on with Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. Between now and Thursday, what do you do? We play Thursday? Yeah. You get two days off? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's Thursday. Man, um, well, that's a bummer. I mean, Fez... He was telling you what was going to happen. Now, again, I didn't do it, but hindsight says he was 100% correct. This was the spot on. This was the bet to make. Did you hear that from Jamal Murray? If you didn't hear that, how much more would you have put down on the Clippers to win that game last night? I did hear it, and I got to be honest, I bet the Clippers, but the point spread tax was high on the Clippers. They were a nine-point favorite, but I made a much bigger bet on Jamal Murray to go under 24.5. There's a Wall Street expression, Jonas, when a stock has been going up, up, up. Trees cannot grow to the sky, and Jamal Murray's stock had become so sky-high with the two (laughs) 50-point games against Utah that everyone seemingly ignored the fact that Joel Ingles obliterated him, and he was awful in the second half, 3-for-14, hobbling around. You heard the quote, didn't look like he was pleased about playing Thursday, and clearly this was a... I don't want to call it a business decision, but Murray was not all out. 12 points in game one here, under 24 and a half. One of the best bets you could make. And actually, I did give that one out to my clients, so I was on top of that one. You know, I got to tell you, following the Orlando bubble day in and day out, and the prop bets and the like, you can really find some nice bets if you dig in enough. Well, now, you may look at it as similar to Wall Street, and that's how you sort of equate things, because you're on a different level when it comes to finances and economy and things like that that I am. I look at like, okay, walking through a casino in Vegas and you're just mangled. You've been drinking all day. You've been by the pool and you happen to see roulette board. And the way my mind works is, all right, if it's hit black or red, like 10 to 12 times in a row, the first thing I'm doing is going the opposite because I go law of averages. What's what are the chances this can happen again? So I would have applied that to Jamal Murray and said, what are the chances he's going to have this bonkers performance like he's had all these other games in the past? And I would have won. But again, I didn't have the balls to make the pick. So this is a hindsight 2020 bet. And I'm telling you right now, if we made that a feature on this show to where I could tell you what was going to happen in a game after it happened, I could make some people a lot of money, Fez. Tell you that right now. A whole lot of people could do that. And in fact, whenever I get a text from someone who tells me, hey, this was one of my biggest bets I've made all year, Fez, I cashed it. I always text back, no past posts. If you don't tell me before the game, I don't want to hear about it. Fair enough. All right. So Steve Fezzik, Jonas Knox in for RJ Bell here on Straight Out of Vegas. Last thing on Clippers Nuggets. So you mentioned the LA Clippers and their NBA title odds. What are the odds on this series as of right now? If you wanted to get gutsy or some would call it dumb, and bet on the Denver Nuggets, what would the payout be based on what we saw last night in Orlando? You can get 20 to 1 on Denver. $1 makes you 20, Jonas. But if you feel that this series is already over, you can bet the Clippers. You can risk $50, get this, to win $1. <laughs> so wait a the second. Clip- the Clippers are 50 to 1 in this series? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. So Vegas is saying, hey, Jamal Murray and company, you can just go home right now. This series is essentially over. Wow. Interesting. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. 
on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. All right, so that is, uh, that's uh, where things stand with the Clippers and the Denver Nuggets. Now we go over to a stunning ending in the bubble. This was the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics. Toronto shocks Boston, left wide open, OG in the corner, 4-3, and the Toronto Raptors get their first game in that series. So now the Celtics have a 2-1 series lead. All the thought is Toronto's got all the momentum, Steve Fezzik. You know that made-up thing, momentum, that people like to point to and don't really know how what it actually is, and it's not really... There's no real physical evidence of momentum, but nonetheless, people are pointing to momentum for the Toronto Raptors, and you're not so sure that's how this thing's going to go. Yeah, I'm not sold on any momentum. The series I've seen is Boston has been the better team in Game 1, Game two and game three, you know, think about the narrative. If that miracle three-pointer doesn't go in, then all of a sudden it's like this was just a wipeout. Boston absolutely is dominating. They didn't even get a good game from Tatum. Tatum game three, and they should have won. So Toronto is lucky to only be down 1-2 at this point. And it's clear to me that Boston's the better team. And part of it is the matchup. Toronto is struggling with the lack of pace. That 104 they got last night was the most they've gotten in any of the three games. Toronto, very important for them to score in transition. They led the NBA in fast break points, 28 per game, and Boston's a top five team at stopping the fast break. And that slowed down the Toronto guards. And I got to tell you, the bench, Powell's a really good player off the bench in transition. He has not been seen from. So it's Abaka and nobody else off the bench for Toronto who does not look deep at all. And look, Jason Tatum was not good last night. He didn't play well. He didn't shoot it well. And the fact that Jason Tatum didn't play that well, and it took that for Toronto to get one game, and it was a blown assignment defensively. As much as we, people want to credit Nick Nurse and the out of bounds play, it was a blown assignment defensively for the Boston Celtics. And they were able to hit a shot and rattle in a three from the corner and they get a game. So I I can understand if this next game was in Toronto, if you wanted to talk about momentum. I totally get it. But the fact that we're on a neutral floor, I just don't buy into that in this situation. I, I really don't. I don't buy into, oh my God, uh, uh, total chaos. What a performance. Uh, you know, the, the Raptors have all the momentum. What momentum? They're playing in front of uh, video screens. This is still going to come down to who's been the better team. And to your point, the Celtics have been the better team so far in the series. Now, as far as the odds go, where does Boston stand not only in the series, but as far as the NBA title goes, as they are now two wins away from the Eastern Conference Finals? So the Celtics are the number three team to win the title at 6-1. to one. The Celtics are favored in the series minus 210, so risk 210 to win 100. So Vegas is saying the Celtics should win the series about two-thirds of the time. i got to tell you, Jonas, Game 4, I am really surprised by this line. I'm going to make a bold prediction here. Boston is catching one point Game 4 against Toronto. That just cannot be right. My numbers say Boston's a slightly better team, and I don't think I'm on an island by any stretch. And the situation with the zigzag, RJ spoke about this throughout the week and has done a great job talking about when you lose a game, that benefits you in the next game. You're the team that gets to make the adjustments. You're the team that comes out a little bit hungrier. I would be very surprised if by the time this game doesn't tip off that Boston doesn't become the favorite. If you like the Celtics, which I do, I would bet the Celtics right now. And in fact, Jonas, I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to put a best bet here in the A block on the Celtics plus the one. Look at you going to the holster, pulling out a best bet this early in the show. My God, what is that going to be? Four best bets on this show? Have Have you ever had four best bets in one show, Fez? 
Not I, on this show. Yeah, I don't think you have. My God, football season has done amazing. You flip the calendar September, and all of a sudden, Fez is just wheeling and dealing here on national radio. Here's the other thing. This whole idea that somehow the Toronto Raptors were a better team without Kawhi Leonard, and everyone wants to point to the record and their record without Kawhi and all this stuff, you're seeing in this series, as you advance from one level to the next in the NBA playoffs, players win these games. The best players on the floor are going to be the best players out there. Toronto doesn't have anybody as good as Jason Tatum. If this was a Kawhi Leonard Toronto Raptors team, we're talking about a whole different situation. The fact that anybody thought Toronto without Kawhi Leonard was going to somehow, some way be better than they were the year before, I just don't buy it. And I felt like that was a lot of people who were pointing to, oh my God, look at their record without Kawhi. Nick Nurse deserves to be coach of the year. This team is somehow better without Kawhi Leonard. They're not. I think the record was deceiving and I think we're seeing it play out in the postseason. And I do think Toronto is a bully that when they're playing a team that doesn't play defense and isn't a good team, you know, Siakam, Lowry, and Van Vliet can go go ahead and flex their muscles and play very well. But when they play top competition, they have certainly struggled. I know against the Celtics, they're two and five straight up, one and six against the spread. Uh, Toronto does not have the look of a team that can compete with the NBA elite. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Steve Fezzik, NFL preview time. We've been counting down 32 all the way to one. Your top teams in the NFL, which brings us today to two teams. And we're going to start out with team number five. And that team is none other than the Dallas Cowboys. And I like the Dallas Cowboys over 10 wins. You know, I'm surprised that I'm going over 10 with Dallas here. But the more I dig into Dallas's season last year, Jonas, this is a team they've only won eight games. They really should have won either 10 or 11 games. How in the world did this team only win eight? Well, they went 0-5 on their close games. And some of those were gut-wrenching losses, including the loss against Minnesota, where uh, they just kept handing it to uh, Zeke Elliott instead of winning the game. Really tough loss against New Orleans. Bottom line, if they go 2-2-1 and in those games, as they should have, Dallas would have been a 10-5-1 and team. So if they should have won 10 games last year, this year, if I look at coaching, I have my questions about McCarthy, and I have my questions about a new coach, the transition in a COVID year with limited practices. But I absolutely could not stand Garrett and his in-game decisions that he made. I have to feel that that is an upgrade in coaching, and I think that will get Dallas to 11 wins. I am looking, I, I bet Dallas over 10 wins, best bet. Yeah, and I like Dallas uh, in that division as well, too. I, I just I have way too many concerns about Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is the only other team that, that I look at that can compete with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not sold on Carson Wentz health-wise. I'm just not. I'm not sold on what Philadelphia's got going on, especially with all these cluster injuries, as you like to call it, at the offensive line position. I mean, Jason Peters agreed to play guard. Now they want him to move back to tackle, and he's telling them, if you want me to move to tackle, I need a pay raise. I mean, to me, that just seems like it might be a little bit problematic before the season starts. But nonetheless, I'm not I'm not buying into Philly, and I do like Dallas. I also wonder about the coaching in limited availability and the opportunity for Mike McCarthy to really get his hands on that offense. But everything that we've heard is that Mike McCarthy's not going to be calling uh, the plays there offensively, um, and, and that it's going to be the offensive coordinator who was there a year ago. His name is slipping my mind. Former, uh, 
Kellen Kel- Moore, Kellen yeah. Moore, uh, former quarterback. I, I think lefty, and I think Boise State. And for some reason, I just it, I was crossing the streams. I don't know why, but nonetheless, <laughs> Kellen Moore is going to be the offensive coordinator again. And according to Mike McCarthy, he's going to be the guy calling plays. Yeah, so there is some continuity there, and I think you bring up a really strong point. Oftentimes when you're betting on a team, you want to look at their opponents in division, and ideally you want to not like their opponents. Now, Dallas is favored to win the division now. They're minus 130, and a big part of it is that Philly absolutely has gotten bad news. Lost two linemen, um, so cluster injuries, as we mentioned on the line. Wide receivers, two of their three starting wide receivers, aren't going to be ready to go in September. Wentz hasn't practiced all week, so who knows what What's going on with his health? And I certainly don't like the New York Giants. I don't like the Washington football team. So other reasons that point me to Dallas over 10 wins as a bet. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Now we look forward to team number four. We are in the final four, the home stretch, as we preview the NFL season. And Steve Fezzik for team number four, we are going all the way to the NFC South. Yeah, New Orleans Saints, my number four team. I'm going to lean under 10.5 wins. And the reason is the Cowboys, we spoke about how unlucky they were last year. Well, the Saints were lucky. The Saints won 13 games, but they won 6-1 and one in close games. They were plus 15 in turnovers. Now, good teams should win the turnover battle, but not by 15. So that certainly helped them to get to 13 wins. Bottom line, I think they should have won about 11. So if that's the case, why am I leaning under 10.5? It's all about Drew Brees, where at age 41, I have concerns about Drew Brees. Now, he played great at the end of the year last year until the playoffs. In December, he was playing at a fantastic level. But I think a big part of that was, remember, Brees missed five games. Bridgewater came in. And because of that, Brees was fresh in December. I'm not so sure he's going to be fresh over a 16-game season. And because of that, I think we might well see a Brees that absolutely struggles end of the year versus beginning of the year. Saints under 10.5 is a lean for me. Now, you also have, uh, by the way, 10.5. I would take the over on 10.5 apologies from Drew Brees this offseason. Uh, I mean, if I were betting. I mean, the number of times he apologized. And then, again, that's just me. If I, if I were betting and making you know the prop bet monsters like I like to do on my weekend overnight show, I would like to point out the number of apologies by Drew Brees this offseason, and I believe that it is over 10.5. But in all seriousness, the other part of this that I look at New Orleans and why I'm also down on them, I'm always skeptical. Anytime somebody already has one foot out the door, I'm really skeptical on being able to trust them. And that's why I'm skeptical on New Orleans, because Drew Brees signed a two-year contract extension, but his own coach said this is his final year. And then he tried to come back and say, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about, and he tried to cover it up, but no, no, no. You know exactly what you're talking about. He's already got a contract lined up with NBC to go be a broadcaster after all is said and done. So that's already lined up. I believe that this is Drew Brees' final year. I, b- I believe he's already got one foot out the door. It's not exactly been the smoothest offseason for Drew Brees, and many people are still calling him out. I think he's a fraud for a lot of his, his messaging and, and the things that he was doing. One minute he says this, the next he says that. I'm not 
I agree with you. I'm down on New Orleans. How far down? I don't know if I'm ready to say that they're not going to make the playoffs, especially with an extra playoff spot there. But I just think that division got better. And I don't know that, that as far as Drew Brees goes and the New Orleans Saints, that this is going to be the easiest path for them to try and make another deep run at a Super Bowl. Because I think they've had too many op- opportunities. They've gotten really close. Bad luck has gotten in the way a lot of the time, whether it's the Minneapolis Miracle, whether it's uh, the NFC title game and the call there, the non-call against Kyle Rudolph in the playoff game a year ago. At a certain point, you can't just expect to continue to get back to that same place every single year. That's why I'm down on New Orleans this year. Well, I think you're going to like my proposition best bet on the Saints then based upon your talk about Drew Brees because I'm playing Drew Brees in a prop best bet under 4,000 pass yards, Jonas. So Brees, back in 2016, he threw for over 5,000 yards. Then the next year, at age 38, he threw for 4,300 yards. Then at age 39, he threw for right around 4,000. Obviously, last year, he only played 11 games. But um, you look at his production levels the last two years, it's been right around that 4,000 number. Now he's a year older. And take a look at the quarterbacks on the Saints. I think very good chance Jameis Winston certainly sees some playing time, especially in blowouts, mop-up time for um, him to go ahead and show what he can do. And Taysom Hill, even in a playoff game against the Vikings, was getting some key usage. you got to feel that Hill is going to get some playing time also. So with three quarterbacks that are going to get some playing time, I can't see how 41-year-old Breeze, who's going to be 42 in January, is going to be a guy that's going to go over 4,000 pass yards. That is a best bet. Breeze under 4,000 pass yards. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 